Hello, I'm Sam and welcome to the Learn and Experience podcast. Exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills and language. Today I'm joined by our two regular team members from Learn and Experience, the people bringing the worlds together since 2009. We've got language guru Mike. Hello. And our very own Miss Positive, Julie. Hi there. This episode will be visiting India, Poland, Nigeria, Germany, the UK and the USA in Around the World in Six Stories. This week in the big discussion, we talk about whether animal testing is ethical. We'll be looking at France in fact or fiction. This week in the Youth Spotlight, we look at the story of a 10-year-old boy from Somerset who was inspired to sleep outside in a tent for more than 200 days. So this week in Life Skills, I headed into the kitchen and learned how to make a white sauce. Uh, This week in Language Corner, we look at how humour is a vital component to learn languages. This is the Learn and Experience podcast. Okay, Julie, where are we heading now? Okay, so we're heading over to Germany where Michael Assam from Herthausen has won this year's award for the heaviest pumpkin grown in Germany. His winning entry weighed in at a whopping 720.5 kilograms. Now, although Assam managed to narrowly beat the competition from another grower whose plant weighed 702.6 kilograms, he was a long way short of the championship record, which was 916.5 kilograms, and that was set two years ago. Now, apparently growing enormous pumpkins takes between 100 and 120 days, which is the same length of time as the small ones. So what's the difference, you might ask? Well, it is the kind of seed and it's called the Atlantic Giant. Now, just in case you were wondering, the heaviest known pumpkin was grown in Belgium and it weighed a whopping 1,190 kilograms, which is the same as a Toyota Yaris. Wow. (laughs) How can it be so big? That's That's over a ton. Yeah, so there's a, a, a great picture which we'll um, put up on social media of Michael sitting on his pumpkin. And it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, big, it's bigger than a Toyota Yaris. It's massive. It's ridiculous. Wow. And the fact that it takes the same amount of time to grow a normal one than it does these massive ones is just mind-boggling. And presumably they're still edible. You would hope so, otherwise that's a lot of pumpkin. There's a lot of pumpkin soup in that pumpkin. You do? <laughs> <laughs> This week we go to Poland, where the largest ever unexploded World War II bomb has been detonated in Poland. Detonated means exploding something safely. The town of Svinowiste, which is in the northwest of Poland, had to be evacuated. Uh, 750 residents of this town had to be evacuated for this bomb to be safely detonated by the Polish Navy. And it was thought that this bomb was uh, dropped by the RAF, the British uh, Royal Air Force, in the Second World War. And it's actually quite common for bombs to be found in built-up areas where where, uh, the Air Force dropped these bombs. And this particular bomb was six metres long and it was 12 metres deep in the water. 
and this is obviously very good for the for the shipping which now can uh, ships can travel safely through this passage uh, without risk of being blown up but quite a feat if you go on the internet you can see a footage of this huge plume of water being being uh, shot up into the air as they as they detonated it it's quite a quite a mesmerizing video i wonder how they do that safely I wonder, I just wonder what the process is of them going down and detonating it and getting away far enough to, to, to for, the, for, the, for the, the men or women who, who do it. That'd be really interesting to find out, I think. I think they, they use radio remote control jewels, I think. Like in the movies. Like in the movies. Tom yeah. Cruise will be there. Yep, Tom Cruise yeah. will definitely. Jason Bourne, Matt Damon yeah. will be there. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe Angelina Jolie. Let's not leave Samuel them a Jackson. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, great. Good story. So I'm going to Nigeria this week. When 23-year-old Dominic Onikarcher set out to read his six-year-old niece's story, he did not anticipate that the simple task would lead him to start a business and create a digital collection of African stories. So he went through a mini library and he found out that many of the books were foreign and had very little African representation of their cultural and traditional stories. He said he wanted to read the books that reflect the culture. So when he took it upon himself to write stories for her, he got some really, really good feedback. He says, I wrote a few stories for her and I got my friend to illustrate. She liked it. Her friends in school liked it too. And that's when I really thought about writing more books and putting them in a place where many more children can access them. So this is when the 23-year-old, he realized all these stories were unavailable <laughs> to children across Africa. So earlier this year, with help from friends, he launched Akidal, a web-based platform providing access to African storybooks for children like his niece. Akidal features storybooks based on African history and characters for children in different languages. So it's amazing from one little idea from just that he, he could see a problem when he was just telling a story to his niece that he's turned this into a business. And now it's uh, helping lots of families and, and keeping the tradition and culture of Nigeria alive. What a great story. It's, it's funny when you, you realise how you enter a bookshop sometimes and you see the, the titles and the, and the names of the books and they speak a lot of the time, not always, I think we're getting better, but they do speak to quite a, a narrow audience sometimes, which don't reflect the, the diversity of, of uh, different races. It's great. Indeed, you can't be what you can't see or, or read, and I think that's, yeah, that's great. Great story. Okay, so we're heading to India now, where in New Delhi, Kamal Singh is one of the first Indian students to attend the English National Ballet School. Now, the amazing thing is that he's actually only been training for three years. So in order to pay the, the quite high tuition fee, which is £20,000, he, um, he started a crowdfunding page where apparently Bollywood film stars helped him raise the fund in just two weeks. So he was obviously a very popular guy. Um, his teacher, Fernando Aguilera, said that he was very dedicated, he worked very hard, and he just wanted to learn. He says, I taught him for three years, and he never asked for a break, and he never missed a single day. So I think, you know, you know people who, who, who train in ballet have usually been doing it since they were three years old. So the fact he's only been doing it for three, four years, 
and now he's able to go to the to the English National Ballet School. He must have been some talent. So good luck, Kamal. Yeah, absolutely. Do you ever do ballet at school, Sam? <laughs> I know I look like I must have done the, my moves on the dance floor. <laughs> I've seen no, them. I've seen them. <laughs> no, Billy, Billy Elliot did inspire me though, but it was, I was a bit too late by the time I'd seen Billy Elliot. Yeah. You and me both. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we next go to Somerset, where a local library in the town of Froome has said that it needs some funding to keep its toy library open. This project has been running for 30 years and basically lends parents uh, soft toys and, and games for the older kids, uh, as well as books. People come and they borrow it just as they would books, but they borrow a game or borrow a toy. Um, But due to COVID and due to other pressures, they need approximately £5,000 just to keep this this service alive. Um, And it reminds me of a library which is close to me, which has now opened up a service called the Library of Things, which if you want to borrow a, uh, a blender, for example, or a microwave or anything for your house, you can go and just borrow it as you just as you would a library book. Um, and I think it's a really fantastic way of keeping the community together. So if you're listening to this in Froome and you've got a spare £5,000, then uh, get in touch with the Froome, uh, Froome Library. They'll, be, they'll, they'll appreciate that. That's such a good idea to being able to borrow things that you only need like three four times a year. We still have a, a I think it's a juicer in the house that I went through a juicing phase and then obviously that mm-hmm. stopped <laughs> as many of my fads do. <laughs> but now it's like that would be great if we could give it somewhere where people could just come and borrow it when they need it. I love that idea. Such love that we're such idea. a such a wasteful um time that we live in and we just want new things all the time. But there's so many so many good old juicers out there that still got so a few that's... juices to to make. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's so much stuff sitting around in people's cupboards that mm. collecting dust. Mm. Definitely. So I'm going to New York now, where a dinosaur skeleton has become the most expensive fossil ever sold at an auction for almost £24.5 million. So fossils are the remains of or impressions of living things preserved in rock. The Tyrannosaurus rex, named Stan, after the scientist who discovered his bones, lived on Earth around 67 million years ago. I can never quite get my head around that, that length of time. It's amazing. So at almost four metres tall, Stan is one of the largest Tyrannosaurus uh, rex skeletons in the world. Guess how many bones it's got? 500. 500, good guess. Uh, 750. 750. So it's got 188 bones, which I still think is impressive. So, poor old Stan. So I've got a joke about a dinosaur. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Go on. What do you call a dinosaur with no eyes? I don't know what you call a dinosaur with no eyes. Do you think he saw us? (laughs) (laughs) Never gets old. (laughs) So that was The World in Six Stories. Okay, so this week on The Big Discussion, we talked about whether animal testing is ethical. Now, just so 
you understand an animal test is any scientific experiment or test in which a live animal is forced to undergo something that is likely to cause them pain, suffering, distress, or lasting harm. So generally the reasons why um, animals are used is in things like cosmetics, um, so makeup, um, deodorants, things like this. Another maybe more legitimate reason is um, to enhance medical science. So Sam or Mike, what do you what do you think? What are your feelings about animal testing? So I think it's a really tricky one, animal testing. I, I don't have a lot of knowledge about how it's done, but I think I'm sure animal testing has done a lot of good. And I think if you are ever have a an ill family member um, or a good friend and there is a medication that they need and it has needed animal testing to get to that point, then you're going to be in favour of it. The fact is, is that animals go through a lot of suffering and that's where people have the big problem. And I completely get that and I don't know to what levels of suffering they have and, and so it's something that I would like to know more about and I'm interested to hear the children's opinions. But I do think things like cosmetics and things that people don't need that aren't vital to living and survival I, I do have a problem with that. I don't think there is any justification at all with the with the ethics of of testing on on animals. So as Sam says, if there if there's an alternative available, then I think it's a it's a really a, a no brainer to go for the product that hasn't been tested on an animal. And you can do that quite easily by looking at the internet and seeing whether a company has a statement that they do not test on animals. Yeah, perfect. I think, I, yes, I, I mostly agree with both of you as well. I think for an animal to suffer for something that's not enhancing medicine is is something I don't agree with. And, and as Mike said, there's lots of places that you can buy, that you can seek out and that you can buy, you know, deodorants or moisturizing creams or shower gels that, that, that haven't gone through any animal testing. So it's just, it's nice to be informed. It's nice to know where the things that you're um, buying are, have come from and what their journey is. I think that's just, it's always good to be as informed as you can be. So now we're going to hear the young people have this discussion. Well, yeah, they test everything on animals. So now animals have rights and you can't, they're trying to make, to vote a law that says that you can't try anything on animals, but the vote isn't loaded yet. For example, if they want to test a new product, they will take some rabbits or rats or uh, monkeys or anything. And they'll taste, uh, mm, uh, test it on them to see if, they die or anything. For example, shampoo, they put shampoo in the eye of some animals, like rabbits, to see if, if, if like the eyes just decompose. They're, they're not going to use that shampoo. But if the eyes like just cry, they're going to use that shampoo. So this is maybe going to, you know, save millions of lives all over the world. At that point, is it okay to test this new drug, this new vaccine on animals? No, I would say nothing tested on animals. So would you test on spiders then okay to test on spiders if you don't like them yeah <laughs> so this week on fact or fiction we're gonna visit france i think we are pretty even on who's won so far i think i'm winning <laughs> mike <laughs> And I think Julie has got a really bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fact. 
Kilts originated in France, not Scotland. Um, I'm going to say that is fiction. And <laughs> I am going to go with truth because... It's called, it's called fact. Fact or fiction? Fact. Sorry, fact. I keep getting Come on. Right. It's the name of the segment. Quite simple. <laughs> so what are you going, Mike? I'm going to go with fact. I think that kilts might well have originated as the form of a jupe in a skirt. And I think maybe they found their way over to Scotland. It is, in fact, a fact. Kilts originated... In France. I'm going to get well. kicked out of Scotland for that. I think quite a few Scots uh, would be surprised at that, wouldn't they? Mm. Um, I Hopefully. Otherwise, I look really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> France is by far the most popular tourist destination in the world. I will go with true. I think... <laughs> I will I will go with fact uh, I think given the popularity of the Eiffel Tower and the French Riviera and all these hot tourist spots I think that that probably just about peaks the charts of tourism I am gonna go with fiction because I think it might be somewhere like Rome just because of um, the Vatican and the Colosseum and things. So I'm going to go fiction. So Mike takes a 2-0 lead. Come on! It is, in fact, a fact. So we have, from a 2018 survey, about 89 million people visit France each year. And the next country uh, on the list is Spain with 82 million. So 7 million more people. The average French citizen eats 50 snails each year. I am going to go with fiction. I think this is a bit of a cliche. French people, on the whole, your average Monsieur Pascal or Madame Paralys uh, for, for, uh, just doesn't eat snails. So I, I'm going to go with fiction. I'm going to go with fiction as well. I also think that's the case because I, I had them as a tourist and nobody else was eating them and they were all French in the restaurant. So, and then I realized it was vegetarian and that snails <laughs> are meat. <laughs> Which is only They're not a vegetable. A year later, I was like, I had snails. So yes, I'm going to go with also fiction. You're both right, but for the wrong reasons. Oh. The average French citizen eats 500 snails each year. No way. Do they actually eat even more snails than 50. Oh, c'est pas vrai. Snails are really oui, good. c'est vrai, c'est vrai. Oh la la. Bonjour. <laughs> France produces a billion tons of cheese each year. I'm going to say fiction. I can't imagine what a billion tons is like, but if the pumpkin weighed one ton... No, I... Fiction. I'm going to say fiction. I mean, I'm I'm still disbelieving of the amount of snails that they eat in France. So I think they've, they, they can't just have snails to eat. They've got to have a diet that consists of snails plus fromage. So I, I think cheese 
Yeah, I can believe a billion tons. So, Mike, you are correct. Oh, come on. <laughs> to be exact, there are up to 1,200 varieties of cheese made in France, which weigh around a billion tons produced for the worldwide market. A billion tons. Is it... <sighs> So France is the largest country in the EU. It's certainly one of the largest, but is it the largest? My head says it might be Germany. Um, I'm going to go with fact. I think France might be the biggest country in the EU. That's good. I was going to go with fiction for the reason you said. I think Germany might be bigger in landmass. It's a close one. Does, does Julie pull one back? I'm afraid it's been a whitewash this week, Julie. It is, in fact, oh, a fact. Yeah. France is the largest country in the EU with a population of about 67 million. Geography was never my strong suit. <laughs> so this, this whole segment's tricky. <laughs> but well done, Mike. Air handshake. Air handshake received. Thank you for being such a good sport. Indeed. <laughs> This week in the Youth Spotlight, I'd like to share with you the story of a 10-year-old boy called Max Woozy, who has been sleeping outside his house in a tent for the last 200 days. And the reason why he's done this is because he lost two family friends to cancer. Uh, as one of his friends was, was in his last, last few days, he, he'd said to Max, he said, here's a tent, which I no longer... I'm going to have a use for. Promise me that you'll have an adventure in here. So Max did. He, he took him to sleeping uh, for, for 200 days. And he says that the best bits were that you you could listen to the birds as they, as they tapped against the, the side of the tent, which is not to everybody's liking. But after a while, he actually preferred it to, to sleeping indoors. He said that the worst bits had been finding an ant's nest that got underneath the tent and also some of the weather which was pretty bad. He also said that getting to read Beano for as long as you want was, was the pretty cool, uh, as was escaping his parents, of course. So well done, Max. Hats off to you, because he raised an incredible amount of money for a cancer hospice and, and all in memory of these two friends. So really nice, positive uh, story of sleeping outside. And I would say if you do have a tent and you do have a garden, perhaps not in November, uh, but it's a super, super, super exciting way of just spending a night outside. It's a little micro-adventure. It's great. It was our little adventure during lockdown. We would uh, we would camp in the garden with my two daughters. Mm. So fun. I love camping. It's it's a real adventure, isn't it? I bet his friend would be super, just super, super proud of him, knowing that he, he spent so many days. You know, it's not even, it's not a small adventure. It's a big adventure went on with that tent. So he's done his, he's done his friend proud. Very proud. Okay, so this week I headed into the kitchen and I learned how to make a white sauce. My my lovely mother, who's been making white sauces for, I'm going to say 50 years, showed me how to do this. Now, she actually has showed me before and I just forgot. I'm not the maker of white sauces in my household, so it was, it was a new skill for me. Um, so just to give you the highlights of how to make a white sauce and some key points, top tips that my mum gave me. Now, there won't be measurements because obviously it depends how much sauce you need. But generally, you need a knob of butter, which you melt in a pan. And once melted, you add flour and stir. 
Now, you cook this gently for about one minute and then you've got to add the milk slowly. Now, my mum said that the key is not to rush this, otherwise, otherwise it'll go lumpy. So patience is one of the top tips of um, making a white sauce. She says, when you're putting the milk in, you have to put a tiny bit in at a time, tiny bit in at a time, and stir, 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 stir. And once you get kind of maybe most of the milk gone, you can then just kind of stick it all in, but you've got to be super patient at the start. So you bring that all to the boil, and then you turn it down to simmer for a few minutes. You can also add cheese um, if you want to make it into a cheese sauce, but if you just leave it as, as it is, it will be a white sauce, which you can use. Well, mum said that the, the things that she uses it most for are things like um, lasagnas, um, and as say she adds cheese to it and makes a really lovely mac and cheese. So yep, top tips, patience. And also she said that when you blend the butter and flour together, it's called a roux, which is spelt how, Mike? Uh, I'm going to go R-O-U-X. Perfect. Go straight to my language expert. <laughs> um, so yes, a little top tip for you there. So yes, if you want to head over to our YouTube channel, channel you'll see um, my lovely, um, hilariously patient mother teaching me how to make a white sauce. You put a little bit of nutmeg in there. Yeah, I, we, we kept this fairly standard, but certainly I have seen people adding things like nutmeg or... Um, mustard as well so Ooh. I think probably I think it's always Ooh. good to start with the absolute basics so you know what it tastes like and then you can kind of you know chuck in some some interesting you can start to um, be a bit more adventurous but one thing I would say is my mum's a really good cook and I don't think I spent enough time as a young person learning as much as I could from her so I implore any young person to if you have a family member that really enjoys cooking and is good, try and get as much of that knowledge as you can because it's super useful as you move through school and, and university. So in this week's Language Corner, have you ever thought, is humour the same in every language? Do we laugh at the same things? The answer really is no. Different cultures find different things funny. And if you really think about it, what makes a good joke? Well... Often it's made up of a rhyme or a pun, and these two things are unique to every, every language. So this is why a lot of the time jokes don't translate very well from one language to another. And the other question is whether humour is a really good way of learning language. And the short answer to that is yes. Because if you learn something that's fun and funny and makes you laugh, you're much, much more likely to remember the words. For example, I was told as a young boy learning French by my then teacher that the word for swimming pool is piscine. Oh, that he said to the class, he said, the best way to remember that is that it is c'est interdit, it is forbidden, to piscine the piscine. Uh, and all of us chuckled and laughed. And 20 years later, I still remember it. Uh, things that make us laugh will stick. Another really good way of, or good way of learning languages and learning through humour uh, is watching TV sketches. Uh, plenty of these on YouTube. Uh, and the reason is that because we at school learn very formal language, we learn, uh, importantly, we learn how to express common everyday uh, language. But in, in words, when we're listening to humorous sketches or things that make us laugh, we're learning how real people speak. So less, less like a scholar and more like a, a person that you'd, you'd meet every day. 
So this is why humor is a super, super good way of learning languages. And I would encourage you to find on the internet something that makes you laugh. You can do this, great way of doing this is going through Google Images. And you can put in uh, like Spanish joke of the day or French joke of the day. Learn new words in the process and have fun with it. So that's this week on the Language Corner. It's funny how certain words and I, I, I don't speak any other language fluently, but I know some of, of, of a few different types of languages. And you're right. If something, if you have a positive experience with something, you're generally going to rem remember it, I think. And if you laugh. So I think that's I think that's really great just to know if you are learning, learning something, make it fun. Yeah, maybe there's maybe maybe we need to have a session, Mike, you and I of um, of you teaching me something and using humor and seeing if seeing how well I remember things. I think that'd be a really good, a really fun thing to do. Pleasure. Let's do it. <laughs> Great. All right, we've got the spelling bee in Language Corner now. Ooh. We've got our self-proclaimed worst speller in the world, Julie. Hi. Who has been doing pretty good, actually, to, to, to your credit, Julie, you've been doing pretty good. Uh, and you're against our language expert, Mike. Hi. So, <laughs> so we've got our three words, and they are uh, relevant to the show so far. So we, they've come up already. And the first one, Julie, <laughs> is Tyrannosaurus Rex. Come on. <laughs> Thrown really? under the bus. Thrown under the bus. I would like. Um, I tell you, no, to, no, to be fair, let's let's get rid of the Rex bit. Just time. <laughs> That's the bit I can. <laughs> bon chance, Julie. Bon chance. Oh come on. Um. Okay. Okay. I'm just gonna go for it. So. Yeah, Tyrannosaurus. Ty the T. <laughs> <laughs> -E? No. Tyrannosaurus. Tyrannosaurus. T. Y. R. A. And A A S A U R A S. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody Sounds knows. about right. <laughs> I think I think that was a good job, Mike. You look Mike? confused. I don't think you like to write it down. I have cheated a bit because I've written it down. Uh, I think it's T Y R A N. O-S-O-U-R-A-S. I knew there was too many A's. I just said all A's, basically. So neither of you got it right. Ooh. But I am going to give half a point to Judy because you got less letters wrong than Mike did. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> There's a lot of O's and A's in there, Mike, that aren't there. Where, where, where is there? Oh. Right, give us, give, give, us, give us the spelling. So, so you, you were right for the first five letters, both of you. Well done. Mm -hmm. uh, T-Y-R-A-N. There's two N's. So an, uh... another N. And it's O-Saurus. So it's oh. O-S. And then Saurus is spelled S-A-U-R-U-S. Oh. Of course it is. Hence thesaurus. Mm. thesaurus. Oh, never even made that connection. I'm still spellbound. Oh, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 Judy, I would, I would. That's a win. There. Yeah, that's a win. Yeah. So. Rex, okay. Rex is spelled R-E-X. Just in case you're wondering. I disagree. I'm only joking. Okay, Tyrannosaurus. Okay, so the next one uh, from when we visited France, uh, we had uh, the cheese facts. Spelled camembert. Say it one more time. 
Cumber. <laughs> camembert. This is not fair with the camembert. <laughs> camembert. It's got a T in it at the end, I bet. Those pesky French. Camem, cam, I have no idea. Cannon, cannon bear. Oh, C-A-N-N-O-N-B-A-R-E-T. Why not? <laughs> Mike? That's a wild. You've, you've made a right French brioche of that. <laughs> uh, okay, you, you got the first letter right. Excellent. Uh, so what do we got? We got C-A-M-A-M-B-R-T. Julie, you're clinging on here. You could still have the win. He's put an A in there, and there's only E's. Oh, good, because I can't say what I said again, because I don't know what I said. There's no E in Cameron. Could you spell it for us, please, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> Fact check. So, the, so it's C-A-M-E-M-B-E-R-T. Oh, there's an extra A. That makes okay. sense. That makes sense. I was like Canon. Canon. Bear. <laughs> oh, excellent! So yeah. hold on. You, so what so you're telling on is one. I'm winning. No, I'm I'm ha- no, I'm half a point yeah. up. So okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we go to the life skill section, Julie, where you made oh, a white sauce. I know what you're going to say. Don't say bechamel. <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's just rude. <laughs> you better not. <laughs> he is. He's going to say bechamel. I call favorites if you say that. Uh, well, I, I'm not going to ask you to spell white, so <laughs> sauce. So the, so the correct technical term for white sauce is, in fact, bechamel. Yeah, uh huh. It is. That's correct. The fact you knew it, there must be, there must be, you must have seen it sometime. Oh, I can say it. I can definitely so, say it. It was attributed it. to Bech- the invention of the of. Uh, by Louis de, de Bechamel, who was a financier and held the honorary post of chief steward to King Louis the Fourteenth in the 17th century. So I'm spelling 14th was that, yeah? <laughs> Bech, Bech, Bechamel. Bechamel. All right. Um, Bech. B-E- and don't worry about, don't worry about accents. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh, good. Uh-huh. So there's an accent in it. That means that means nothing to me. Um B E S H no B E S C H E E M E L Bechamel. Oh, it's so wrong. And now I'm a lot less confident, a lot less cocky this time because Excellent. I've got I've been stung badly. Um I have learning more from my lessons. So I think think it might be with a C instead of an S. So I think it's B-E-C-H-E-M-E-L. Oh, if that's the only letter I got wrong, I'll be proud of myself. So you can hardly believe it. <laughs> no! <laughs> no way! No way. <laughs> but I think this week's winner, by default, <laughs> is in fact Julie. Yes! Because Mike's got this bad spelling wrong as well. <laughs> He put an E in there where it was an A. So it's B E C H A M E L. Oh, I'm really happy. Sorry, Mike. I'm really happy, though. Those, those were tricky. Those are the <laughs> really tricky, tricky words. Mm. 
Cameron Bauer was just a, I don't even, nobody knows what letters I said for that. <laughs> cannon. Uh, cannon, cannon, lots of bear. cannons. Oh, lots that was fun. Like a weapon. Well done. That was really fun. Well done. Good, hard words. Good work. <laughs> so that was the Lennon Experience podcast. Goodbye, Julie. Goodbye, Mike. Bye, Sam. Bye, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the show. That was the Learn and Experience podcast, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills, and language. You can see more of what we do on our website, learnandexperience.com, and through our social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.